Chapter 10 of Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Sun. Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio, Volume 1 by Song Ling Pu. Translated by Herbert Allen Giles. Chapter 10. Joining the Immortals. A Mr. Chow of Wenting had in his youth been a fellow student with a Mr. Chen, and a firm friendship was the result. The latter was poor and depended very much upon Chow, who was the elder of the two. He called Chow's wife his sister, and had the run of the house just as if he was one of the family. Now this wife happening to die in childbed, Chow married another named Wang, but as she was quite a young girl, Chen did not seek to be introduced. One day her younger brother came to visit, and was being entertained in the inner apartments, when Chen chanced to call. The servant announced his arrival, and Chow bade him ask Mr. Chen in, but Chen would not enter, and took his leave. Thereupon Chow caused the entertainment to be moved into the public part of the house, and sending after Chen, succeeded in bringing him back. They had hardly sat down before someone came in to say that a former servant of the establishment had been severely beaten at the magistrate's yamen. The facts of the case being that a cowboy of the Huang family connected with the Board of Rights had driven his cattle across the Chow family's land, and that words had arisen between the two servants in consequence. Upon which the Huang family servant had complained to his master, who had seized the other and had sent him in to the magistrates, where he had been bambooed. When Mr. Chow found out what the matter was, he was exceedingly angry, and said, How dares this pig-boy fellow behave thus? Why, only a generation ago his master was my father's servant. He emerges a little from his obscurity, and immediately thinks himself, I don't know what. Swelling with rage, he rose to go in quest of Huang. But Chen held him back, saying, The age is corrupt. There is no distinction between right and wrong. Besides, the officials of the day are half of them thieves, and you will only get yourself into hot water. Chow, however, would not listen to him and it was only when tears were added to remonstrances that he consented to let the matter drop. But his anger did not cease, and he lay tossing and turning all night. In the morning he said to his family, I can stand the insults of Mr. Huang, but the magistrate is an officer of the government, and not the servant of influential people. If there is a case of any kind, he should hear both plaintiff and defendant, and not act like a dog, biting anybody he is set upon. I will bring an action against the cowboy, and see what the magistrate will do to him. As his family rather egged him on, he accordingly proceeded to the magistrates and entered a formal plaint. But that functionary tore up his petition, and would have nothing to do with it. This roused Chow's anger, and he told the magistrate plainly what he thought of him in return for which contempt of court he was at once seized and bound. During the forenoon, Mr. Chen called at his house, 
where he learned that Chow had gone into the city to prosecute the cowboy, and immediately hurried after him with a view to stop proceedings. But his friend was already in the jail, and all he could do was to stamp his foot in anger. Now it happened that three pirates had just been caught, and the magistrate and Huang, putting their heads together, bribed these fellows to say that Chow was one of their gang, whereupon the higher authorities were petitioned to deprive him of his status as a graduate, and the magistrate then had him most unmercifully bambooed. Mr. Chen gained admittance to the jail, and after a painful interview proposed that a petition should be presented direct to the throne. Alas, cried Chow, here am I bounded and guarded like a bird in a cage. I have indeed a young brother, but it is as much as he can do to provide me with food. Then Chen stepped forward, saying, I will perform the service. Of what use are friends who will not assist in the hour of trouble? So away he went, and Chow's son provided him with money to defray his expenses. After a long journey, he arrived at the capital, where he found himself quite at a loss as to how he should get the petition presented. However, hearing that the emperor was about to set out on a hunting tour, he concealed himself in the marketplace, and when his majesty passed by, prostrated himself on the ground with loud cries and gesticulations. The emperor received his petition and sent it to the Board of Punishments desiring to be furnished with a report on the case. It was then more than ten months since the beginning of the affair, and Chow, who had been made to confess to this false charge, was already under sentence of death, so that the officers of the board were very much alarmed when they received the imperial instructions and set to work to rehear the case in person. Huang was also much alarmed, and devised a plan for killing Mr. Chow by bribing the jailers to stop his food and drink, so that when his brother brought provisions, he was rudely thrust back and prevented from taking them in. Mr. Chen complained of this to the viceroy of the province, who investigated the matter himself, and found that Chow was in the last stage of starvation, for which the jailers were bambooed to death. Terrified out of his wits, Huang, by dint of bribing heavily, succeeded in absconding and escaping a just punishment for his crimes. The magistrate, however, was banished for perversion of the law, and Chow was permitted to return home, his affection for Chen being now very much increased. But ever after the prosecution and his friend's captivity, Mr. Chen took a dismal view of human affairs and one day invited Chow to retire with him from the world. The latter, who was deeply attached to his young wife, threw cold water on the proposition, and Mr. Chen pursued the subject no farther, though his own mind was fully made up. Not seeing him for some days afterwards, Mr. Chow sent to inquire about him at his house, but there they all thought he was at Chow's, neither family, in fact, having seen anything of him. This looked suspicious, and Chow, aware of his peculiarity, sent off people to look for him, bidding them search all the temples and monasteries in the neighborhood. He also from time to time supplied Chen's son with money and other necessaries. Eight or nine years had passed away when suddenly Chen reappeared, clad in a yellow cap and stole, 
and wearing the expression of a Taoist priest. Chow was delighted and seized his arm, saying, Where have you been, letting me search for you all over the place? The solitary cloud and the wild crane, replied Chen, laughing, have no fixed place of abode. Since we last met, my equanimity has happily been restored. Chow then ordered wine, and they chatted together on what had taken place in the interval. He also tried to persuade Chen to detach himself from the Taoist persuasion, but the latter only smiled and answered nothing. It is absurd, argued Chow. Why cast aside your wife and child as you would an old pair of shoes? Not so, answered Chen. A man may wish to cast aside his son, but how can he do so? Chow asked where he lived, to which he replied, In the great pure mansion on Mount Lao. They then retired to sleep on the same bed, and by and by Chow dreamt that Chen was lying on his chest so that he could not breathe. In a fright, he asked him what he was doing, but got no answer. And then he waked up with a start. Calling to Chen and receiving no reply, he sat up and stretched out his hand to touch him. The latter, however, had vanished. He knew not whither. When he got calm, he found he was lying at Chen's end of the bed, which rather startled him. I was not tipsy last night, reflected he. How could I have got over here? He next called his servants, and when they came and struck a light, lo, he was Chen. Now Chow had had a beard, so he put up his hand to feel for it, but found only a few straggling hairs. He then seized a mirror to look at himself and cried out in alarm, If this is Mr. Chen, where on earth am I? By this time he was wide awake and knew that Chen had employed magic to induce him to retire from the world. He was on the point of entering the lady's apartments, but his brother, not recognizing who he was, stopped him and would not let him go in, and as he himself was unable to prove his own identity, he ordered his horse that he might go in search of Chen. After some days' journey, he arrived at Mount Lao, and, as his horse went along at a good rate, the servant could not keep up with him. By and by he rested a while under a tree, and saw a great number of Taoist priests going backwards and forwards, and among them was one who stared fixedly at him. So he inquired of him where he should find Chen, whereat the priest laughed and said, I know the name. He is probably in the great pure mansion. When he had given this answer, he went on his way, Chow following him with his eyes about a stone's throw, until he saw him speak with someone else, and, after saying a few words, proceed onwards as before. The person whom he had spoken with came on to where Chow was, and turned out to be a fellow townsman of his. He was much surprised at meeting Chow, and said, I haven't seen you for some years. They told me you had gone to Mount Lao to be a Taoist priest. How is it you are still amusing yourself among mortals? Chow told him who he really was, upon which the other replied, Why, I thought the gentleman I just met was you. He has only just left me and can't have gone very far. Is it possible, cried Chow, that I didn't know my own face? Just then the servant came up, and away they went full speed, but could not discover the object of their search. All around them was a vast desert, 
but they were at a loss whether to go on or to return. But Chow reflected that he had no longer any home to receive him, and determined to carry out his design to the bitter end. But as the road was dangerous for riding, he gave his horse to the servant and bade him go back. On he went cautiously by himself, until he spied a boy sitting by the wayside alone. He hurried up to him and asked the boy to direct him where he could find Mr. Chen. I am one of his disciples, replied the lad, and shouldering Chow's bundle started off to show the way. They journeyed on together, taking their food by the light of the stars, and sleeping in the open air, until after many miles of road they arrived in three days at their destination. But this great pure locality was not like that generally spoken of in the world. Though as late as the middle of the tenth mood, there was a great profusion of flowers along the road, quite unlike the beginning of winter. The lad went in and announced the arrival of a stranger, whereupon Mr. Chen came out, and Chow recognized his own features. Chen grasped his hand and led him inside, where he prepared wine and food, and they began to converse together. Chow noticed many birds of strange plumage, so tame that they were not afraid of him, and these from time to time would alight on the table and sing with voices like pan-pipes. He was very much astonished at all this, but a love of mundane pleasures had eaten into his soul, and he had no intention of stopping. On the ground were two rush mats, upon which Chen invited his friend to sit down with him. Then, about midnight, a serene calm stole over him, and while he was dozing off for a moment, he seemed to change places with Chen. Suspecting what had happened, he put his hand up to his chin, and found it covered with a beard as before. At dawn he was anxious to return home, but Chen pressed him to stay, and when three days had gone by, Chen said to him, I pray you take a little rest now. Tomorrow I will set you on your way. Chow had barely closed his eyelids before he heard Chen call out, Everything is ready for starting. So he got up and followed him along a road other than that by which he had come, and in a very short time he saw his home in the distance. In spite of Chow's entreaties, Chen would not accompany him so far, but made Chow go, waiting himself by the roadside. So the latter went alone, and when he reached his house, knocked at the door. Receiving no answer, he determined to get over the wall, when he found that his body was as light as a leaf, and with one spring he was over. In the same manner he passed several inner walls, until he reached the ladies' apartments, where he saw by the still-burning lamp that the inmates had not yet retired for the night. Hearing people talking within, he licked a hole in the paper window, and peeped through, and saw his wife sitting drinking with a most disreputable-looking fellow. Bursting with rage, his first impulse was to surprise them in the act, but seeing there were two against one, he stole away and let himself out by the entrance gate, hurrying off to Chen, to whom he related what he had seen, and finally begged his assistance. Chen willingly went along with him, and when they reached the room, Chow seized a big stone and hammered loudly at the door. All was then confusion inside, so Chow hammered again, upon which the door was barricaded more strongly than before. Here Chen came forward with his sword, 
and burst the door open with a crash. Chow rushed in, and the man inside rushed out. But Chen was there, and with his sword cut his arm right off. Chow rudely seized his wife and asked what it all meant, to which she replied that the man was a friend who sometimes came to take a cup of wine with them. Thereupon Chow borrowed Chen's sword and cut off her head, hanging up the trunk on a tree in the courtyard. He then went back with Chen. By and by he awaked and found himself on the bed, at which he was somewhat disturbed, and said, I have had a strangely confused dream, which has given me a fright. My brother, replied Chen, smiling, you look upon dreams as realities. You mistake realities for dreams. Chow asked what he meant by these words, and then Chen showed him his sword, besmeared with blood. Chow was terrified and sought to destroy himself, but all at once it occurred to him that Chen might be deceiving him again. Chen defined his suspicions and made haste at once to see him home. In a long while they arrived at the village gate, and then Chen said, Was it not here that sword in hand I awaited you that night? I cannot look upon the unclean spot. I pray you go on and let me stay here. If you do not return by the afternoon, I will depart alone. Chow then approached his house, which he found all shut up, as if no one was living there. So he went into his brothers. The latter, when he beheld Chow, began to weep bitterly, saying, After your departure, thieves broke into the house and killed my sister-in-law, hanging her body upon a tree. Alas, alas, the murderers have not yet been caught. Chow then told him the whole story of his dream, and begged him to stop further proceedings, at all of which his brother was perfectly lost in astonishment. Chow then asked after his son, and his brother told the nurse to bring him in, whereupon the former said, Upon this infant are centered the hopes of our race. Tend him well, for I am going to bid adieu to the world. He then took his leave his brother following him all the time with tears in his eyes to induce him to remain. But he heeded him not, and when they reached the village gate, his brother saw him go away with Chen. From afar he looked back and said, Forbear and be happy. His brother would have replied, but here Chen whisked his sleeve and they disappeared. The brother remained there for some time and then went back overwhelmed with grief. He was an unpractical man, and before many years were over, all the property was gone, and the family reduced to poverty. Chow's son, who was growing up, was thus unable to secure the services of a tutor, and had no one but his uncle to teach him. One morning, on going into the schoolroom, the uncle found a letter, lying on his desk, addressed to himself in his brother's handwriting. There was, however, nothing in it but a fingernail about four inches in length. Surprised at this, he laid the nail down on the ink slab while he went out to ask whence the letter had come. This no one knew, but when he went back, he found that the inkstone had been changed into a piece of shining yellow gold. More than ever astonished, he tried the nail on copper and iron things, all of which were likewise turned to gold. He thus became very rich, sharing his wealth with Chow's son. 
and it was brooded about that the two families possessed the secret of transmutation. End of chapter 10 Recording by Amy Sun